Hi everyone, Eric here just telling you that there was a little bit of an audio issue on my end when we were recording this our weekly episode, so you're not going to hear the usual um, good sounding quality from my side of it, unfortunately. But I think it's still a great episode, so I just wanted to make that clear before you start hearing the little glitches here and there. Anyway, on with the show. Hello, friends. We are back with episode 95. Wow, we're almost halfway to that big number of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric Nance, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, who I was just geeking with Shiny about recently, uh, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. I'm excited about uh, what we've got in store for the audience today. We do have a lot, and there's a unifying theme here that I'll see if you agree with, but it's one thing to create awesome data science, you know, routines, pipelines, analytics, but there's a certain person that you should definitely be thinking about, and that is future you. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is very much going to help future you, and they will thank you for it. So you will see what we mean as we dive into this. But of course, this issue is not possible without our curator this week, Jonathan Carroll, again, one of our OGs of the R Weekly team. So as always, thank you, John, for your great issue here. And he had great help from our fellow R Weekly team members and contributors like all of you around the world. So let's dive into this with one that definitely set me down a few rabbit holes in a very good way. Um, But we're going to talk about a really amazing walkthrough that combines practically every part of my like our development wish list in the way that I could never easily explain this nearly as well. And this is coming from Rami Crispin, who is a data science manager and open source contributor at Apple. And I actually had the very good fortune of meeting him in real life, so to speak, at the recent RStudio Conf. We had some awesome conversations centered around some of the tooling that's going to be talked about in his walkthrough. And there's certainly something for everyone here. And I'll definitely share my takes on my favorite bits shortly, but there is a really good use case here to discuss first. So Mike, why don't you take us through just what this walkthrough was centered on? Sure. So this was all about deploying Flex dashboards with GitHub pages uh, slash GitHub actions and Docker. So a lot of reproducibility, a lot of automation and some data viz as well in this blog. What is not to love. And I'm jealous that you've met Rami IRL. He's always putting out fantastic content, uh, especially on LinkedIn, I think is where I see him uh, post quite a bit. And I'm excited to see something from him come across the highlights this week, which is awesome. I have to admit, um, just off the bat, that I have made a billion shiny apps, but I've never made a flex dashboard. But I did just get a client project in that I think might be perfect for a Flex dashboard. So more to come on that. And I am grateful to have Rami's GitHub repository for reference as I start to do that. It is an absolute goldmine, as you alluded to, Eric. Um, Do you want to highlight some of the really interesting things in this repository that you found? Oh, absolutely. So what's great about this is, yes, the Flex dashboard using real-time data is a the centerpiece of this and having an update in real time thanks to 
GitHub Actions, but I'm going to come at this from the developer side of it. And this has got some excellent stuff. So what is fundamental here is Docker. We've talked about Docker quite a few times on Arguably Highlights as a way for you to encapsulate your development environment, all the system libraries, all the packages you need, everything like that. This tutorial is treating both a development environment with RStudio in a Docker container and the Visual Studio code in one place. This blew my mind because when I've been on this journey ever since of almost a couple of years ago with my development setup, I never thought I could combine the two as slickly as, as Rami has here. So that's my first follow to see if I can mirror that approach to reduce a lot of the redundancy I've introduced in my template repo for what I call my R dev projects uh, template repo where I had two Docker files, one for the RStudio side of things and one for the VS Code side of things. And it was duplicating a lot of stuff when it didn't have to. So this is already some great optimization right off the bat. But the approach here is also great. These Docker containers could get really complex really quickly. And to be able to separate out certain pieces of that development setup into self-contained scripts, either bash scripting or just R scripts in general, it is an excellent way to keep organized and know which pieces go where as you compose this overall Docker file. I think that's a really great approach. Also, these little nuggets like configuring the Git settings so that if you use version control like you should to push changes to the repo of whatever project you're working on, he has a slick little script that will auto generate then your desired username and email so you don't have to do that manually when you do the git commit and realize that, oh, wait, I don't know who you are. And then you got to reconfigure that. I've had to do all that manually. He's got a great script to automate that. Oh, amazing. Why didn't I think of that? But hey, that's what these posts are for, right? So that was a huge step. Other little nuggets like in the RStudio container, not having to authenticate into it right away. Another time saver. Just bypass all that and since it's you're the one running that container, it's not like I'm going to have some random Joe out in the interwebs get into my network. I might as well make it easier for me to spin that up. And yeah, so all this has been stitched together, even with Docker Compose, so that you don't have to always feed all those arguments one by one in the actual command. The Docker Compose is a YAML file. Very easy to set up. Very, very intuitive. Another win right there. And if I had to nitpick one little thing, only one thing, I would promise this is only one thing I'm nitpicking. The <sighs> packages in R that are being installed are being installed as source. And if you've all used R on Linux before, you know that can be a bit of a time-consuming affair. But this is out in the open, right? Rami has welcome requests and contributions. And I may get in touch with him about maybe leveraging the binary package installs that I think are becoming a lot easier to do in Docker files with an R environment. So otherwise, this is literally what I've been looking for and what I've been trying to find the ways to express for years. Rami's done it. Probably the best tutorial I've seen in this space all year. I am, I'm a huge fan of it. So I can't say enough good things about it. This this kept me up a little bit later last night than I had hoped just geeking out on this, and I'm not ashamed of it. 
<laughs> we are in the same boat there. And like, it's incredible that all of these little helpful workflow reproducibility nuggets are contained in this repo and this project, but they're not even the point of this project right. itself, right? The, the point of this is really to, to uh, showcase this flex dashboard that was built and, and how sort of the, it, it gets uh, recreated every day with updated data. And um, I think it's incredible that he's able to build, if you actually look at the RMD file, he builds this dashboard in just 280 lines of code. And it's not like he has, he's sourcing a bunch of custom functions that really boil it down to this 280 lines of code. Oh no, he's doing pretty much all of the processing within this 280 lines of, of RMD code that includes a ton of awesome data viz code with the high charter package, which if you've never used it before, it is a package sort of like Plotly um, for creating interactive visuals. I think it's a little aesthetically nicer than Plotly, but don't come after me for that. Um, hey, hey, all's fair in visualization, buddy. Nothing as good as e is as good as eCharts for R. I'll just throw oh, that out well, there. Oh, there you go. Of course. That's my favorite. Hi, John, if you're listening. Yes. That's my favorite. But uh, <laughs> Remy found I might have to dip into iCharter just to supplement my my uh, expertise. But Remy found a, a really cool use case for in iCharter, an interactive grouped bubble visual that serves as like an analog for a tree map. Um, check it out yourself. The bubbles float around on the page when you interact with them. And this is not a flex dashboard that's using a shiny runtime either. It's just a quote unquote static uh, flex dashboard, but you can drag these bubbles around on the page and they bounce uh, and float. It's super cool. It, it, um, very, very cool visual. But I, I would say that probably most importantly here, as you said, it being an incredible tutorial, the readme is fantastic. It walks through absolutely every aspect of the project. It is an unusually, incredibly detailed README um, that's super helpful for anybody trying to reproduce this analysis or just learn a little bit based upon all of the different tools and methodologies that Rami employed to get to this end product of a Flex dashboard that updates uh, every day. And it almost, I think it's almost unmentioned that Rami also built the R package that populates the data in the dashboard. Yes. It's, it's just like, a subtle link in there, but you wouldn't know it. He, he's very humble about it. <laughs> yeah, I clicked on the link to the package and it's like, oh, Rami Crispin uh, slash that package name. So yeah, it's 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 uh, an incredible repository, a gold mine, if you will, of information. Definitely one to check out. I'm glad it's leading off the highlights. Yep, and I, I, I know me personally, I need to read it a couple more times to grab all the nuggets out there. But yeah, I went down a... A couple of trends last night to see, okay, if I mirror this approach in my setup, does this do X, Y, and Z? So I'm really excited to dig into it more, but yeah, just fantastic. And yeah, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Rami's uh, content. I'll have to check out LinkedIn more often. Uh, that's very cool to see him. It's definitely not his first time talking about stuff like this. So I'm going to have to catch up on it for sure. Definitely. And you're, uh, you're talking about some of his Git tricks leads us really nicely into our second highlight here. Oh, of course, you couldn't have set that up any better for me. So I do realize there's a portion of our audience of data scientists out there 
practitioners that are listening to this podcast, but of course, thank you for listening. But they may view the topic of version control, maybe like how my kids feel about folding their clean clothes after the laundry is done. It's a lot of upfront work for what seems like no payoff to them. <laughs> now, Great analogy. Well, uh, that's been fresh in my mind for reasons we probably don't need to get into here. But if you stick with the theme of this highlight, remember that very important person we're talking about is future you. And like many broad topics in software development, you can find practically almost thousands of tutorials on getting started with Git as your version control system. With, I would say, varying degrees of quality, to say the least. But we have a great post to share with you in our second highlight that takes the best of both practical explanations and visual components to drive the main points home here. And this is drafted by Cosima Meyer. Hopefully I'm saying that right. She is a data scientist at IBM. And actually, she was a recent curator on the Our Ladies Twitter account. So, of course, as fellow curators of a big project, we're always going to send our congrats and fantastic job because we know how much work it takes to curate content for sure. And this post is amazing. Honestly, the pictures are going to be what catches your eye the most. Illustrating key concepts of Git, such as what happens when a commit is made, when you make a new branch in development, how you're taking idea or taking upstream changes downstream. These really hit the points home. So the visuals are definitely what caught my eye at first, but it's not just a bunch of visuals. This is some practical explanations on what's exactly happening to hook up, say, your RStudio environment to get and to GitHub as your online repository, the little bits of connection needed there, how you can interface with the best features of GitHub to make your life easier. But again, this is a great first step for those that are new to version control, especially from the R side of things. So I think it's got fantastic material here and it's definitely going to my bookmarks when I am asked, oh, Eric, I need a tutorial about Git. Can you help me? Oh, I sure can now. This, uh, this post from Cosima is definitely going there on top of my list. But uh, what did you think about her post, Mike? I thought it was a great post. And I usually don't uh, speak ill of people or, uh, you know, I know this is a, a kid-friendly podcast, but past me is a... <laughs> I, I don't think there can be enough... That, that's a tangent. But I don't think there can be enough education around Git. Um, I remember once hearing Greg Wilson uh, from the Software Carpentries, who also taught some uh, RStudio instructor training that I was fortunate enough to get while he, while he was still doing that. Um, he noted that of all the programming languages he has taught over the years, which is a lot, Git has been the hardest for him to teach. And, and I think that's, that, that really speaks to the complexity of the language and, and really how much of a hurdle there is for newcomers to pick it up. But blogs like Kasima's help and things like GitHub as well, I feel help. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but um, Git is much is older, right, than GitHub. Oh, yes. It much is older. Uh, much older and it is originally authored by the author of the Linux kernel himself, Linus Torvalds. I appreciate that. He's a wealth <laughs> of knowledge. <laughs> but um, I can't imagine Git without GitHub. So I think I appreciate what GitHub has done for teaching Git. 
And I think it's worth emphasizing how small things like building a personal readme that you can now do on GitHub, which Kasima shows in this blog, can actually get people excited about Git. And getting people excited about learning something can go a long way towards actually learning it, in my experience. Um, Kasima does a great job of showing how to hook up your Git repo to your VS Code environment to help out the folks who might be uh, used to working in VS Code on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's also a really cool interlude in this post about code snippets that I learned a ton from. It's a tool that I don't leverage very, very often. And, and like you said, it's a really friendly post uh, with lots of visuals between images, some GIFs, some tweets, and phenomenal content that ties it all together. And I think at the end of the day, really the message here is that Git is hard, but it's so worth the effort. Yep. And it, it, that initial hurdle is the hardest now. And I also want to make sure listeners know that it's okay to not feel like an expert in Git. I've been using it for a long time, but I do not consider myself an expert in the least. You would not believe how many times I have to Google like to revert a repo to the second to last commit or undo that pull request or that push to another branch. Like there are lots of hairy situations that can occur, but there's typically a way out. But I think the basics, if you can understand the basics, and when I say basics, I mean just the art of committing well and often, using branches to your advantage, that gets you so far just on that alone. You don't have to be the, the expert on rebasing and this other advanced stuff. You can if you want to, but you don't need that to be fully productive with this workflow. And I think seeing more materials like this will hopefully go a long way into spreading that message as well. And then the other part that um, she demonstrated with the snippets, which was an awesome idea. I didn't even think of that within our studio itself is try to surround yourself with tooling that makes Git easier. So many of us are aware that our studio itself has the Git interactive widget to check in files, you know, type your commit message in there too. But there are other tools as well that can even take that to another level. Um, even VS Code comes with its own Git, Git uh, operator, so to speak. And in a tool that I've been using a little bit in some of my open source work, this is not free advertising, I'm just saying this because I use it, is called Git Kraken, a fully you know, open source, not open source per se, but it's cross-platform. It's uh, Mac, Windows, Linux, so you can get that same experience across your, your operating systems. And it's a great way to also visualize how your commits are looking in terms of like an illustration, not too dissimilar, to what was seen in, in Camisa's post here. So having that visual accompaniment to what you're doing in, in like the terminal or in those commit messages can also ease that learning curve as well. So don't be afraid to surround yourself with better tooling to make the Git experience easier for you. Absolutely. And Git Kraken is a, a great, uh, helpful tool. I think another one that I'll shout out just, just for the heck of it while we're on the subject is GitHub Desktop. They have a desktop True. app, which is fantastic. And it sort of reduces the amount of mistakes that you can make. Um, and it allows you to do some pretty complex things just through the UI um, without having to enter the command line, git bash. So I, I would definitely recommend that one as well. And it works even if you're not pushing to a GitHub repository. You can use Bitbucket uh, and, and other, other services as well through GitHub Desktop. 
That's right. I think the key is augmenting that local repo that you have set up with somewhere online so that you always have that quote unquote safe area that if the, the worst happens to your local setup, you're not hosed. You'll be able to get that stuff back. And that's why committing early and often is another key piece of advice that past me did not do as well. And yes, you will regret it later. <laughs> Now, another thing that you definitely will not regret for our last highlight, the focus is maybe something that's also viewed as something we know we should be doing. But once again, maybe finding the best way to get started with it can be a pretty long ordeal. But this also has some continuity, some stuff we talked about last week as well. So let's say you expose an analytical pipeline through maybe a Shiny app or a plumber API, it is hugely important to capture, you might call diagnostic information or patterns of usage as these analytics are being performed, even if it's mostly as you're developing this early on to understand the different trade-offs or the different options that people can go with. Well, the fine folks at Jumping Rivers have once again put together a terrific series of posts examining a deep technical topic. And this time, much like the Mario box highlight we had last week from Colin Fay, they are sharing tips on their take on guidance on creating uh, our package out of a plumber API. Again, very timely here. And yes, when you talk about informing these diagnostic messages, it's quite easy, whether it's plumber or not, to just try and get by with a bunch of calls to the message function, or maybe syncing some stuff to a text file manually, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel when we have some excellent choices in the art community that can fit seamlessly with whatever analytical solution you have in this pipeline. And that is called the logger package. The logger package is very customizable, but it's also giving you an easy way to get started with sending messages by default to the art console or to a file, changing the format with either its built-in wrappers or to customize that format yourself, like what's been done in this post here. So I'm really excited to try this out more often. And as I develop APIs, whether they're in a package or not, I think Logger is a great way to capture just what the user is calling as they invoke these APIs, but then to augment that with information that maybe I want to keep track of and sending that somewhere so I can analyze it later. So Logger is a great way to get started with it. But I'm curious, uh, Mike, have you had experience with this before? Have you tried stuff like this before? I have tried a few things like this before. And one of the, the nice pieces of the Logger package, which I have not tried before, is that it can write out your log file to some sort of a structured file like JSON, which, yes. as we know, would allow us to actually read it in as a data frame, instead of having to parse through the lines of text in a more traditional, if you will, old school log file, which I have uh, done. Let's just, let's use that that word. I have done and yeah, it's not, not been fun. We'll keep it real though. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is like deja vu from last week. I mean, what a great follow-up post to the Mario box uh, package post from last week on APIs as a package, right? And there 
are a lot of things that you have to consider when creating an API. And I think that that's sort of what both of these, the, this post and last week's post are getting at. And one of those things is logging. And it's important because when you provide an API, you're providing a service to someone or some group of people. And it's important, I think, to have a way to check on the health of that service, as well as understand what went wrong, right, when your API service isn't working. And to be able to do that quickly is uh, is incredibly, incredibly important um, when you have something that, that's running in production. And like I said, the, the logger package has a ton of functionality beyond just writing your log files out as JSON, um, allows you to write out log messages to both a file and the console, to rotate log files after some uh, specified number uh, of log lines, and much, much more that you should check out in the blog post. Yeah, and yeah, credit to Jamie Owen, the author of this. Uh, they've really walked us through some great you know, little nuggets that you have to be accounting for when you do this with an API wrapper like Plumber. There are some certain things with hooks and where you define the custom output logic and where you put things that may be more specific to Plumber. But hey, as you said, Mike, we're creating services and it's important that we're able to tie in to the way it expects things to be documented or, or accounted for in that structure. But I think this is a great introduction to making that more routine. And I can tell you from a project that I started maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I started a machine learning API, you know, project, I'd stitch it all together. This is before Plumber was a thing, but we regretted it immediately when we started getting into the hands of customers and they started putting these really odd inputs in there. And we're trying to figure out, well, why, what, why are you doing that? But also like, what was the problem with that? And so having having the messages that we bolted out about halfway through were hugely important for us to figure out, okay, we need to restrict what they can call here. We need to restrict that specific parameter. Again, something that you probably don't think about when you're just developing it for yourself initially, but you will always, always be surprised what your customers will do with whatever service you put in front <laughs> Ain't Take it from truth. this old man here. I've seen it all. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Learn learn from our mistakes, please. Yep, but we're paying it forward, right? Yep, that's what we try to do here. And obviously all the content that we talked about today, I think is again, going to give future you some much needed relief and some peace of mind. And that cannot, there's no value number I can associate with that. It is priceless. Speaking of peace and uh, peace of mind and relief, let's talk about taxes. <laughs> yes. So why am I, why are we bringing this up? So this is usually the part where we talk about these other hidden, maybe not so hidden gems that we find in the issue. And yes, I'm going to talk about taxes only because there is a new R package called U.S. Income Taxes by Shane Orr. And yes, this means that now you can calculate your U.S. federal and state income taxes from R. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I am. But the tech behind this package is equally as fascinating as just the fact that it exists itself. In fact, some of the technology we've been hearing about, I would say in the last few months, especially around using R in a client-side web browser fashion, specifically this WASM, functionality is actually part of this 
tax package in terms of the wrapper that they're outlining here. So I am fascinated to explore it for the tech alone. I'm not going to give financial advice. I'm not sure if you want to rely on this solely for your returns next year. But hey, if you're feeling adventurous, don't say we didn't warn you. But I am certainly fascinated by where this can go for sure. I'd imagine your find, Mike, is probably a little more fascinating than taxes, but I'd love to hear it. Uh, I don't know. I, I was going to say I should go short my QuickBooks stock. So this might be taking over. And I, <laughs> I, have to, I have to check out that repo because I'm just curious how many legal disclaimers are in the license file in that package that, that hold Shane harmless from, from people that messed up an argument in one of the package's functions and maybe failed to... <laughs> Failed to pay pay enough taxes, but um, on a slightly different note, the 2022 R Studio Table Contest is here. It has arrived. I yes. participated last year. For last year was the inaugural R Studio Table Contest. This is year two, so I'm sure the stakes are higher, and that the tables submitted will be even uh, more complicated and, and complex and beautiful. So. I would start working on your RStudio table submission now. We have such a great ecosystem of packages for building tables uh, that we've talked about at length in these highlights. So there's no better time than now to get started on your submission. Oh yeah, I was so fascinated by the contest last year. And also not just the blog posts that were, we have linked in the issue itself, but I wanna give very you know due credit to Richie Owen and Curtis Kephart at our studio for making a few series of videos on how you can submit to the shiny table contest and more information on it. So if you like to digest your our content with a video or audio presentation, we'll have links to that series of videos in the show notes as well. And yes, you are also a free game to use Python with this too. This is not just an R thing anymore. So have at it, whatever table packages you're fancy. I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of the GT enhancements recently, so I bet we're gonna see a lot of GT amazing content, but there's a, a multitude of tools you can you can use for this. So I'm excited to see what the community does for this for sure. Maybe you're gonna enter again, Mike, what do you think? Definitely, I think last year we were on like version 030 of GT, which is what I used pretty early on, and now we're on 070, so there are some big, uh, advancements. We have the GT Extras package now on CRAN as well. So uh, much more horsepower for me this year when I'm putting this table together. Excited to see what I'm able to, to pull together, time permitting, of course. Oh yeah, that's our biggest enemy, right? <laughs> we got the ideas, but getting that time is another thing altogether. Sometimes I have to cram the uh, downtime I get at a kid's uh, sports practice to cram this stuff in, but you got to be agile in today's world for sure. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you write a couple lines of code for your personal project uh, during the day job. You know, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you didn't hear from me, though. But <laughs> oh, well. Well, what, you, what do you hear from us? Well, of course, what you're going to hear from us is we have way more available content for you to choose from and read about in the current Our Weekly issue. I hope you know where to find that. It's just rweekly.org. That's it. Just put that in your bookmarks. No need to memorize it. Just favorite it and have it open every morning. You're going to find something there that makes you smile. Your um, R, you know, get your R day going right, so to speak. Uh, we saw how big of a fans we were in the highlights today, but there, like I said, there's always so much more 
in each issue. And of course, there's always so much in the general world of R that we want to know about. So if you want content, either authored by yourself or someone you know, to be featured in a future issue of R Weekly, just send us a pull request. Everything's a markdown. Markdown's the way I write everything now, even my you know, personal notes. I'm a markdown person now. I can't get out of my system. But it's very easy to do that on the upline or the upstream repo on GitHub. Just send us a pull request. There's a link right to the draft on the top of the rweekly.org page, and you're good to go from there. So speaking of going, I guess we're going to have to head out of here pretty soon. But Mike, where can people find you online? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Awesome. I am at the RCast, and I will give a little preview of what I'm up to. Just today, I kicked off a little bit of a video recording and some new content coming your way that I won't spoil too much of, but I think I was pretty successful, but hopefully that'll be coming out in the next month or so. So stay tuned for that little teaser. But um, yeah, I'll be updating other things there along the way. So we have a uh, a rare open source project at Catchbrook with a really cool Gollum GIS app that is about to hit the airwaves uh, in a blog post. So let's look out for that. Ooh, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I will warn the audience and you, Mike, um, the curator next week, he's a bit of a handful. So just watch out for him. Um, you'll know more next week. But uh -oh. in any event, um, we're going to close up shop here. Um, but it's been great to have you all listening. And we'll be back with episode 96 of the R Weekly Highlights next week.